scripture reading today is from Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Diana. Uh, we are starting our new fall series, and we're going to be moving along in our home meetings with, the, uh, with related kinds of themes and topics, and so we'll be studying uh, in full the gospel. One of the things I want us to envision as we launch into the series together is um, power. Power. Does your faith have power in your life to address you where you're at? Now, just as a bomb needs a detonator for explosive power to actually be powerful in its explosion. So your faith needs the detonator of the gospel. Without the gospel, your faith is empty. It won't, it won't explode into your life. It won't be applicable into, in, in the various aspects of your life, your work, your life in the city, your relationships with one another, the, the hopes and dreams that you have, the frustrations and despair that you experience. The gospel will not be powerful if, if we don't look at the gospel as the center of our faith, Jesus is the center of our faith. And we're going to do that all of this fall uh, by taking different aspects of the gospel played out in our life and, and allowing it to detonate through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're praying for. So as we look at this new series, we're going to be looking at the gospel in life. And this morning, what I want us to look at is simply this, that as, that as Christians, the city is our context and God's plan. As Christians, the city is our context and God's plan. And so what we're going to do is just look briefly from this passage, two things. We're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the fact that we should seek our spiritual renewal 
here. And we should also seek and serve, seek to serve and prosper the city. So we should seek our spiritual renewal here, and we should seek to serve and prosper the city. All right, let's just, let's go ahead and get into it. Let me pray first before we do, just briefly. Heavenly Father, we need you. We depend on you. There's no way to grow uh, and have the power of what you've done for us transform us without the gospel. And so we humbly submit ourselves to you now. We ask that you would shape us through your word, that you would form us, that you would uh, enlighten us and enliven us. Be with us now as we study together. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first thing we'll look at is just that we should seek our spiritual renewal. How do we do that? How do we do that? And in the text, we'll see that it's by developing a rich life of prayer while we're living in the city here. A rich life of prayer. So God's plan for a future welfare and hope in this passage, God's plans for a future welfare and hope um, is characterized by, tw- by prayer. Look at verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. So beginning with the end in mind, God shows you that the destination that his people is headed for, his people are headed for here, is a life of prayer, of calling upon him, an answer, of relationship, of intimate communication. But also in 7b, God wants uh, his people to pray pray to him on behalf of the city. 7b says, pray to the Lord on its behalf, on the city. They're in exile. And yet they're to pray to the Lord on behalf of the city. So why did God want his people to develop a rich life of prayer? What's interesting, and let me get the, uh, just one second. Oh, I have it here. Uh, what's interesting is God's people were in a state of spiritual disintegration. A state of spiritual disintegration. They weren't uh, enlivened in their faith. They weren't powerful in their faith. Their faith wasn't making a difference to their life. So in verse 19 of the same chapter of 29, we read this, Because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you my servants and prophets, but you would not listen declares the Lord. And verse 23 says this, because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel. They've committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and they've spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. And I am the one who knows, and I am witness, declares the Lord. So the exile, the exile was used by the Lord to address their spiritual disintegration. The city of their exile was not a senseless disaster. It was part of God's design for them. Three times God spells out that he sent He sent the exiles into the city, verses 4 and 7 and 14. Sent is a very active word. Sent is a very active word. It says far more than God just allowed them to be deported. He sent them for a purpose. Part of that purpose was their spiritual renewal, and part of that was to pray to God on behalf of the city itself. Now, just an interesting note as I was thinking. There's so much in in this passage alone that I would love to communicate to you. We don't have time, but I want to point this out. Spiritual disintegration, right? God used broken people, spiritual disintegration and exile as a result to help broken people. Do you understand? He called them the city for both reasons, not only their flourishing prayer, but to help others. We'll get to that more in point two. And in spiritual renewal, you have to come to an end of yourself. You have to come to an end of yourself and your ability to get to God, like Jeff talked about at the beginning of worship. He set up worship and said, Christianity is unique because it's the only religion where it's not a list of rules, it's not a list of things that we do to get to God, to please him, to earn his favor. 
They would have been used in those capacities. So God asked them to pray for and seek the peace and the prosperity and the welfare of the city. Um, God requires you to come to an end of yourself and develop a rich life of prayer as well. Whatever your field, are you an artisan of any capacity? Could be a painter, could be a writer, could make great coffee, <laughs> right? Are you an artisan? Are you a professional? Are you a leader? It is part of God's design for you that you would develop a rich life of prayer while you work, wherever you work, as a part of society here in Philadelphia. Remain sensitive to your tendencies, and instead of being more uh, like the things around you and like the attitudes around you, as you work, as you engage your profession, as you engage where God has you, are you a student? As you engage your studies, instead of doing that, you remain sensitive to your tendencies, and you come to an end of yourself. And part of your own spiritual renewal will begin that you begin to pray on behalf of the city wherever you are, whatever your field. You begin to seek its renewal and its peace in the very place that you connect with. Why won't you do that? Verse 12. The end towards which we're heading is that we call upon the Lord and we pray to him and he hears us. That's, that's the prosperity the Lord speaks of, deep relationship with him. And in the gospel we have that. And so 7b, pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray to the Lord on the city's behalf. How can we do that? How can we do that? Just some quick practicals. Assess where you are with your own spiritual renewal. Where are you in your prayer life? Are you like a sailboat? Are your sails full of wind that you're sailing along at a great rate? And it's a wonderful, wonderful ride. Is that where you're at in your spiritual life? Or maybe your sails are listless and there's just a little bit of wind and you're moving slowly and you have to work all day just to get a little distance. Or maybe your sails are empty of wind and you're dead in the water. Where are you in your spiritual life? Assess it. No matter which state describes you best, call on God in prayer and pray on behalf of Philadelphia while you're here. He requires spiritual renewal from us while we're in the city. So not only should we seek our spiritual renewal while living in the city and develop a rich life of prayer, praying and relating to God well, intimately, through the gospel, but also praying on behalf of our city. But also, we should seek to serve and prosper the city, and that's our second point. God's people were to find their own peace and prosperity, not in seeking their own prosperity, but in seeking the prosperity of the city. Put it another way. Through God's people, he would bring his peace and prosperity to the city, and through ministry to the city, he would bring his peace and prosperity to them. Look at verse 7. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Or verse 10. The 70 years in the city are for... For what? 70 years in the city for what? God says it's for Babylon, right? For Babylon itself. When God's people came to Babylon, they, of course, brought their faith in God with them, although it was disintegrating. They still had faith. They were still God's people. And the Babylonians would therefore be brought into contact with people who believed in the true and living God. Think about it this way. It's only as God's people gave up their resentment and scorn of the city and seek to serve and prosper it that paradoxically they would find their own flourishing. What does that look like?
You thought I was going to go to prop. I'm just thirsty. Um, what does that look like? And I want to I want to spend some time here. So think about this. We'll look at what the scripture has to say, and then we're going to unpack some models that the church has had in the past, and still has today with dealing with the city. We're going to examine those a little bit. Uh, first thing is that they were to settle in the city. Verse five. They're to settle down. Right. They're to plant for a long plan for a long term involvement and in investment in the community. They're to build houses and plant gardens. So there's long-term involvement and investing in the community. They're to settle down, but they're also to grow in the city. Verse 6b, they are to multiply there and not to decrease. Of course, this means that they're to get stronger and more numerous. But it also means that they're not to lose their unique spiritual identity as God's people, but allow that identity to be renewed. That the, their time in the city and dealing with God and seeking God in the prayer would be one. Of, it would be a catalyst. It would be like a detonator that would explode their faith for the benefit of the city and for their own benefit. It would bring them closer to God and it would bring those around them closer to God. And it says that they would seek the city's peace and prosperity. Verse seven, when Jeremiah says, "Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city," he means that they're to seek their own prosperity in such a way that it benefits the city. What does that mean? It means that they're not to use their gifts and resources in such a way that it doesn't help the whole city. But when we use our gifts, when we employ our gifts, when we work in our field, when we study in our field, when we labor with uh, our field, when we're relating to our neighbors, it's not to be in a way that uses the city, but it's to be in a way that serves it. It's not for just our benefit. It's for those and the benefit of those around us. Do you work like that? Are you engaging in work like that? You're not to, they were not to use the city for their own advancement, but they were to seek the city's advancement, and in that, find advancement with God in the relationship and the renewal that they had with them. This is very different than what some of you have grown up hearing. And I want to consider that with you now. I want to just rehearse a couple of the options and, and land on one for ourselves as we move forward in this year of ministry together. There are different kinds of approaches that the church has taken towards living in a city that are not like this. For example, there was a, uh, a very talented professor at Westminster a number of years ago named Harvey Kahn. And by uh, the best professors at Westminster, by everybody's count, he was the only professor then that could equally and credibly teach in any of the departments. You know what it's like to get a PhD in one specific field and you're an expert in that field? Harvey was talented enough to teach all of them, and he, he focused on urban ministry. And what Harvey did was an adaptation of Niebuhr's famous models of how the church relates to culture and society. And so I'm going to pick a couple of those out here for us to see the far end of the spectrum in the way that the church deals with society and culture, and then I'm going to, I'm going to paint a picture for us and where we should land as we move forward together. The first, on one far end of the spectrum, spectrum is this. Churches deal with the city in this kind of mode, where it's Christ against the city. Many of you grown up uh, and, and related or heard things related by Christians that are like this. Many Christians blame the city environment itself for the troubles in society. Blame the city. Rural regions and small towns are seen as sacred and humanizing, while cities are secular and dehumanizing, per se. And this perspective on the city expects that ministry in the city can do little to change it and even expects sharing your faith personally to be very difficult or impossible 
And so city churches influenced by this model are like fortresses, which huddle Christians together for warmth in the spiritually cold urban place. These churches are very unaware of what Augustine called the city of God, the forces of the kingdom of God advancing in every human city. Their pessimism about change ignores the biblical teaching about the presence and spread of the kingdom of God. But also, the historical fact that early Christianity thrived and succeeded largely as a result of the fact that it was exploding in cities in an urban context. We, the churches that are the fortress mentality, uh, uh, are fueled, we would suspect, by a profound failure to grasp the grace of God. A profound failure to, to grasp the grace of God. Legalism needs a very strong us them. Legalism needs a very strong us and them boundaries and very clear rules and regulations in order to assure our guilty consciences that we're okay. But that's not the model that we see here in Scripture. On the other end of the spectrum, the the other far end of the spectrum is Christ of the city. Now, other churches have a model that exists at the extreme other end of the spectrum. And the theological perspective, this perspective, believes that all historical movements towards the emancipation of the oppressed is God's work. The church is not to build a distinct history as the people of God, but is simply to join and lead the way of the flow of history towards liberation and freedom. These churches then end up simply as mirrors celebrating and cheering the more liberal aspects of the city's culture. While Christ against the city kind of church ignores the city of God and the depth of of God's grace, the Christ of the city model ignores the presence of the city of man, the world system of idolatrous rebellion against God, and it ignores the depth of our sin and our need. These churches have lost touch with the need for conversion of the heart and life. Conversion of the heart and life. While the first model misses the sovereignty of Christ over all of the world, the second model misses the uniqueness of Christ in all the world. The result of this perspective is the church's uh, uh, in this church is that nothing more than community center, church is nothing more than a community center or concert hall or a political action group, and they have nothing unique to offer. So two ends of the spectrum. Where are we to land? I think that it's Christ transforming the city. And so let me talk about that coming from this passage. And through the redemptive historical thread that we see in Scripture, the redemptive story, God's redemptive plan, There are other possible models for the church relating to culture and society in the city, but among them, I think, the transformation model shows the most hope about the gospel through our holistic mission in the city. Why? Because the other models tend to think of the redemption of Christ as for the purpose of just forgiveness and sins and life in heaven. But the Bible tells us that the ultimate purpose of redemption is a completely transformed creation. Completely transformed. Hebrews 11.10 reads this way, For he was looking forward to the city that has, its, has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Look, friends, quick redemptive tour, okay? God began history in a garden. But in the redemptive story, history is ending in a city. Revelation 21 shows us that. God tells Adam to multiply and develop a civilization that will glorify him in Genesis. But Adam fails. And God, through Christ, the second Adam, 
does get a civilization that glorifies him. But Hebrews and Revelation 21 show us that the world he desires is what? It's urban. The world he desires, what we're headed to, is urban. The wife of the Lamb is a beautiful city, shining with the glory of God, Revelation 21. And when we look at the New Jerusalem, we discover that in the midst of the city is a crystal river and the tree of life bearing fruit and leaves which heal the nations of the effects of the divine covenant curse. This city is the Garden of Eden remade, transformed with every nation, the glories of the nations brought in and people from every nation living in it. The city is the fulfillment of the purpose of the Eden of God. Is it only metaphorical? Consider this with me. Consider a couple of illustrations. God is called a father who is building a spiritual family, right? God is called a father who is building a spiritual family. That means that though the earthly family is an institution corrupted by brokenness and sin, we are to seek to redeem and rebuild human families, right? So God is also a city builder who is building a spiritual city. And that means that though the earthly city is an institution corrupted by sin, we are to seek to redeem and rebuild human cities. And as we are to redeem human families by spreading within them the family of God, so we are to redeem human cities by spreading within them the city of God. Think about it this way, friends. We know that the power of marriage is such that as your marriage goes, so goes your life. Right? We know that. If your marriage is good, life is pretty good. If your marriage is bad, life is pretty bad. So the power of cities is such that as the city goes, so goes society. We are to live and work in such a way that we are not just living and working for our own benefit when we're here, but living and working for the benefit of our city and those around us as well. Let me give you an illustration. My wife... Uh, has some friends who serve with a woman um, named Sarah Miller. And I'm going to read you a brief, uh, over, a brief account of what Sarah Miller is doing in the Bronx in New York. Listen to this. Sarah Fraser Miller, originally from Texas, moved to New York five years ago to study theater at NYU. In her first year in New York, she had the opportunity to perform in a Broadway production and began to experience the type of success that she thought would take years to attain. But she learned quickly that success in theater wasn't a magic fix that would lead her to ultimate happiness. In her sophomore year, God began to break her heart for the poor and the oppressed of New York City. She felt a mounting tension between the gospel stories of Jesus' radical ministry and her own comfortable, self-focused lifestyle. In August 2008, she followed God's leading to move to the South Bronx, the poorest neighborhood in the United States. And upon moving there, Sarah's goal was simply to know and love her neighbors well. In a short time, the people of the South Bronx became her new family, and she could no longer imagine living life without them. But 80-hour work weeks, during which the best parts of her intellect and creativity were being used to better the New York food business, were leaving her with less and less time to spend with her neighbors. And she knew God had something far more for her. What had started as a humble ministry of serving the kids of her neighborhood in the hours between school and sleep was now outgrowing both her home and the schedules of her young women who lived with her. And in November 2010, Sarah quit her job in order to concentrate full-time on ministry in the South Bronx. Since then, she has a team of volunteers have banded together as a community called a house on Beekman. 
and they are continuing to love and serve the neighbors with a new sense of mission, committed to joining God in the renewal of South Bronx. We should seek to serve and prosper Philadelphia. Living here and working here for the benefit of our city and not just for ourselves. So what does God require of you? On the one hand, you need to give up your resentment and scorn of the city if you have it. And you need to seek to serve it and prosper it. On the other hand, you need to uh, serve the city and prosper it without letting go of the need for conversion of heart and life. Social and political activism is not enough to bring the holistic change God is after. You need his Holy Spirit. You need the good news of the gospel. You need that to be able to proclaim to your own heart and to the heart of those around you. Holistic change requires the power of God working through the good news of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection by the power of his Holy Spirit to those who are dead in life and to be a light in dark places. All of redemptive history and the final city to which God is bringing us in Christ are built on him and him alone. But it doesn't look like that. Him and him alone worked out in our life is an expression of his love. It's tangible. People sense him through it. Where does God require this of us? Assess in your life where you tend to use the city for your own benefit or where you tend to be too like the city without being distinctly one of God's people. Where in your life does that happen? Why must you do what he requires? Verse 7, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And don't forget that the the 70 years in Babylon for God's people in this passage was for Babylon, verse 10a. How can you do it? And we'll end on this. How can you live like this? How can you let your time here be a time of spiritual renewal and also a time where you seek to serve and prosper the city itself for its benefit and depend on God for that? Friends, you have to see the one who is treated as though he were not a citizen of the city of God so that you could be made a citizen of God's city and through him hold out the hope of his city to those in our earthly city in which we live. Do you remember what Jesus said about his people when he does his work and about who you're to be? He says that you are the light of the world. He says you are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Friends, because of the distinctiveness of who you are as God's people, if you're relating to him through Jesus, then the city, the alternate city, the city of God that shows forth in our lives should be a kind of place where people of the city can come in and they can see how a model home of like what happens in in the life of God's family. What does God's city look like? How do we treat sex and money and power there? How do we treat racial differences there? How do we treat our careers and our time in school and the way that we use the city as a part of God's city. How do we do that? We should be a very clear and natural place for the people of the city to come and understand a different way, not far right, not far left, but a different way that shows forth the glory and the wonder of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that you can be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden is if you see the one who was lifted up on a hill outside of the city and treated as an enemy of God so that you could be treated as a friend. And more than that, not only does God give you citizenship in his city through Jesus, not only does he give you the rights of the heavenly city, 
but he gives you the right to be called sons and daughters. He not only brings you into his city, he brings you into his family. He calls you son, he calls you daughter, Jesus calls you brother, and he calls you friend. Do you believe that? Friends, as we get ready for this year of ministry, as we launch into it together, please look at Jesus, the one who did everything for you, and be transformed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that our life in this city would show the spiritual transformation and the intentional seeking, the prosperity and peace of those around us in our city and all of its institutions, and that one would not be without the other. We ask that we would not just focus on spiritual things and be irrelevant to the life that we live here. And we ask that we would not just be relevant to the life that we live here and not focus on spiritual things, but together those things come together in you and hold together in you. We ask for that kind of transformation. We ask for that kind of dependence. We ask for that kind of awakening in us. Awaken our hearts, enliven us to the work that you would have us do. Show us how not to be selfish and live in a self-focused way. Instead, show us how to push forward in Philadelphia, in our very neighborhoods, interceding for our neighbors, being a light and life because of your light and life. Show through us, Lord. Without you, we can do nothing. But everything is possible through you who gives us strength. Be with us now as we continue to worship, we ask in Jesus' name.